Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! I don't know if you knew this or not, but Budget Blinds have some of the best people in our community. They are, and we have said this before, they are very much good eggs. That they are. They are always doing things to help out the community and, but wait, there's more. Ooh, what else are they doing? They are the home of the Signature Series Shades. So when you're ready to make your home a smart home, this is the place you need to go to. You're going to call Budget Blinds, and you're going to say, all hail, my robot shade overlords. And they're going to know what you need, and they're going to hook you up with Signature Series Shades. So when you're ready to make that decision, head on over to our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit right in the heart of downtown, tell them Jason and Nick see you. Hello again, and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I am Jason Norbury, and as always, I'm joined by a man who's like the dog that caught the car. We now have answers, but we don't know what to do with them. It's Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Lee Summit. Woof. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. Fair enough. I think you've just raised the discourse level of this open. Low bar. Low bar. bar. Link to Lee Summit is, as always, the source for all the news you need about our very fine city. And our unofficial sponsor today is Pants. In that I have to wear some today. And I'm I'm a little upset about it. But I have, I have, I have, get this, Nick. I'm going to say, I have an actual meeting in person with another human. That's just weird, man. It is weird. I mean, it's like, it's been literally like months since I've had that kind of a meeting <laughs> and it's one of those professional ones. And so I have to, I have, I have, I have real business slacks on and I don't Oof. even know what to do with myself. That's weird. You know, I'm sure everybody else feels this way too, but it's like, I, I now treasure those times when I get a real meeting with somebody and it's not over video call. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Like, I, know I get to see another human in person and have dialogue. Yeah, direct human interaction that's not, you know, close the refrigerator, turn off the lights. Would you please pick up after yourself? Those are great. I really enjoy those. So That's a good thing. Hey, speaking of meetings, Jason, there was a meeting in the community last night. Oh, really? I didn't. I, didn't, I don't think anybody deal. paid it. To, actually, we saw the, the live stream views were up in the, what, 1,500 range? Oh, it was over 2,000 for, for a, a significant time. The Lee Summit R7 Board of Education met and finally – the decision has been made, dot, 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 for now. Jason, the Board of Education voted five to two to have grades four through 12 start this semester virtually while pre-K through third grade are going to start 100% in person. And I say 100%, that's 100% who chose the in-person option. Right, those of you who have chosen to go virtual still get to be virtual. There we go. But here's the cool thing, Jason. We talked to board president Ryan Murdoch a couple days ago, and he agreed that no matter what happened, he agreed to come on our podcast this morning and talk about the decision and let us ask him a few questions. Some easy, some a little bit hard, but we just wanted to get a little more detail out there. Absolutely. And get, you know, I think an insight into the, the process and the, the thoughts that go behind these decisions and, and to, to humanize it in what is something, you know, every time we take a piece of news, we tend to stick it into our 
uh, fully politicized framework. And, and I think this can help us pull that out of that a little bit to get a better feel for what actually went into the decision that was made. So with that, and with nothing further ado, here's our interview with Ryan Murdoch. We're here with Ryan Murdoch, Lee Summit Board of Education President, to talk with us about what was an, a completely and utterly uneventful school board meeting uh, on Tuesday night. So uh, uh, Ryan, um, this, we're recording this in the morning after, so uh, have you rested Are you, or did you stay up all night reading uh, loving responses on email? Um, I did stay up for a while to uh, unwind um, and read some comments. Um, some of them supportive, some of them not, um, which I think was probably to be expected no matter what we decided. Yeah, there wasn't a 100% make everybody happy decision, other than other than Dr. Buck sitting at the dais and announced he had come up with a vaccine for COVID. <laughs> which I did try to get him to have ready to go by last night, but it wasn't there. So. Well, yeah, that's well now be you know the, the clause you forgot to put into its contract. Yeah, right? you must fix the pandemics is the <laughs> next one. That's in the next superintendent contract. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about, oh, I guess let's start with this. Like, what did you guys actually decide last night? The biggest thing that we decided was that we will allow our pre-kindergarten through third graders to attend school full-time um, in the buildings. Um, and that our fourth through 12th graders will start virtually. But the other part of that motion and decision um, allows us to review data weekly um, and then allows for administrative recommendations um, to move us um, into what is essentially our next phase, which would be to get our fourth through 12th graders into a hybrid format of education. Okay. Now, as, uh, as I recall, that was a five to two vote. It was. Um, and, and there, was, there was a little bit of criticism we saw online that the vote wasn't roll call. And I think that the remote version of it made it difficult to hear which, which uh, board members were. We figured that out and we'll, we'll cover that part. You don't have to throw anybody under any buses here. But uh, just, was there a reason that it wasn't a roll call vote or, or, is, that a, or is that a lesson that you have learned? That's 100% my mistake. It should have been a roll call vote. And quite frankly, the next decision on the, um, non-allocated uh, staff and our hourly staff compensation should have also been a roll call vote. And I've acknowledged that to people. It had been a long discussion and it literally just didn't enter my mind that I needed to remember to make it a roll call vote. So that's on me, so. Well, that's, you know, we, we don't often hear people do that to say, take, take responsibility for those things. So honestly, well, that's weird. Honestly, I'm at a loss for words. I don't yeah, even know what to I, say if somebody's going to take responsibility and not like try to throw other people under the bus. I always try to defer responsibility to Jason. Well, in that case, that's a good decision. Okay. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, given the way things go in my house, it's probably my fault. <laughs> I, I want to I ask a, a, a little bit, and I know I'm, I'm going to jump ahead on, on Jason some here, but I want to ask a little bit about, about that decision and where you chose kind of the, to draw the line at, at third grade. And I know you've seen questions about this as well, but, but what, what makes us, us feel like, hey, we need to keep everybody home except for pre-K through three, and what's that, that, why the line there? So I think there's two reasons for that. Number one is we can make a, um, a data-driven decision based on how those kids learn and start their school careers. It would be very, very difficult, obviously, for a pre-kindergarten or kindergartners who are learning to try to even read and write to start in a virtual environment and be asked to have somebody 
by their side reading and write and reading instructions to them. So I think um, we get a little bit um, caught up in only the medical data part of this, but just from an academic side, those younger grades um, will really benefit by starting in person. And I don't want people to misconstrue that I don't think four through 12 is important because it obviously is. Um, from, from the medical standpoint, you know, there's conflicting studies out there and I hope everybody understands that. We can all go find numbers one way or the other. But one thing has held relatively constant, which is um, those kids that are, in it, that are the youngest um, tend to, at least at this point, from all the data that we've received, including um, the experts that we talked to outside of even the Jackson County Health Department, tend to not transmit the disease as much and tend to not get the disease as much. So Ryan, uh, well, since you brought up Jackson County, I thought I would, uh, I'll, I'll swing right with that. Uh, as of today, or yesterday, I guess specifically, the Jackson County's recommendations for what they call regional gating criteria for schools is in the red zone, um, as, as they have stated that. And in that is a recommendation that there is no in-person instruction, uh, or at least no school building in-person instruction. Right. Why did you choose to vary from the recommendation of the health department? Um, First off, I think it's important that people understand that on August 6th, when we came out with the four different phases that we would be in, um, depending on different recommendations, there is a very, very big distinction between a community being in significant community spread and being in significant uncontrolled community spread. And while people may think that's just semantics, semantics it's really not. Um, and so based on data from not only the Jackson County Health Department, but then also looking at um, medical capacities and other data and listening to some of the experts from John Hopkins that Dr. Buck even referenced last night, those medical professionals were comfortable with the younger grades being in school while then the four through 12th graders starting in a virtual format. Um, and so that's why I think that the majority of the board felt comfortable um, in um, going a little bit against the health department rec recommendations. Is that, is that a difficult thing to do? I mean, I, I, you know, you, as we're referencing here that, that the county says one thing and then we've got different data that says, says different things. You know, our, unfortunately, our as a collective group response, right, to this pandemic has been a very politicized response. And, and so it makes it sometimes difficult to play a game of trusting what data from where. How are you, how are you and I'm gonna ask you to say this just personally as, as a member of the board, how are you kind of differentiating there and kind of drawing your lines and figuring out what you're gonna use and how you're gonna make those decisions? I think, I think you've actually probably hit on one of the biggest points in the entire school reopening debate, right, which is what day, data should we be looking at. Last night I referenced that, um, and again, this is where I'm only speaking from my own personal opinion here, okay, so um, I believe that there should be more metrics um, being used as a part of the reopening discussion. Um, you know, in my current day job, I deal with COVID-19 related issues just in a different county. Um, but literally on a daily basis looking at data. <clears throat> and one of the difficulties is, is that the data that I look at in my day job is gonna vary um, in comparison to what the Jackson County Health Department is using because our county relies a lot on the state data system, which unfortunately has different numbers than the Jackson County Health Department. 
Um, and so when we're trying to figure out what is best for students, what is best for our community, I just believe that we need more than three data points to be able to make a um, competent decision to be able to tell our community, look, hey, this is the rationale for why we are making the decision we are making, um, especially when we have such variabilities um, in one of the metrics that the Jackson County Health Department is using, which is that percent positive rate, when our testing capacities and volume just fluctuate so wildly, that number just keeps just, just ping-ponging all over the place. And so um, I think it makes it really difficult for the community to understand what numbers we're gonna use um, and essentially why the health department makes a recommendation. I think we could do a better job of presenting that uh, a, more, a more complete picture, I guess, um, to the community for why we make a particular decision. How do you communicate that? I mean, like you said, everybody can see see data and read it differently. And data is not the easiest thing to read, right? There are people that are, you know, I know someone who is a data scientist, right? I mean, that's their 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 world. So how do you as a board, as a public entity, try to present that in a way that everyone can, can understand. I mean, you know, the number one thing we hear every election cycle around the school board is we got to have more communication, right? So how do you, how do you present that? And I guess maybe even, you know, the follow-up would be how can you do it better so that people understand? I think, I think the first thing is, is what we have to make a choice on how much data we're going to present, right? Because if we were to tell people, hey, let's go look at the data re regarding COVID-19, we're gonna get lost in it. The, the most of us are gonna get lost in it. We have over 7 million um, different people now that we could essentially have data from just within the United States, if you think about the number of cases and all that kind of stuff throughout the country. So, I mean, if you were to go on the CDC website, you can get absolutely lost in data. Um, there. So I think the first thing is we have to choose, unfortunately, what are we actually going to present? So the, the health department did try to present that gating criteria. They tried to present a chart that becomes a little bit easier um, to look at, color-coded, you know, all that kind of stuff. Where it gets tricky, though, is when that first gating criteria was even sent out, there wasn't any parameters for how you move from one um, criteria to the next. Now, they have since corrected that, and I appreciate that very much. Um, but for us as a district, when we communicate that out, if we're going to continue to do our best to follow the Jackson County Health Department recommendations, um, then it's up to us to communicate out, hey, these are the criteria that we are looking at. This is the exact number that we are at. And I think probably even more to your point, we need to tell people this is when we're going to reevaluate those particular data points so that people know, hey, in two weeks, we're going to be looking at this data, and if it has gotten better in four days, which is actually what it would be, four days, we can flip and have kids in school. So what do you say, how do you, how do you address the people who, even if they're looking at data, and I'm going to admit that I'm skeptical that most people are looking at data. Uh, I, I assume y'all are, and I assume the administration is and all that, but like honestly, I think the, the majority of people are... Um, you know, they, they tend to kind of try to find data to fit their preconceived notions of things. And given that, um, how do you reconcile or work with or work, talk to people who honestly just disagree with your data choices um, for that matter? Like you're, you're looking at the wrong things or you're doing this in the wrong way or you're not seeing the right numbers or 
or the numbers are telling you a story that you're not hearing? What do you, how do you, how do you communicate with those folks? Um, well, let's start with it's difficult. Um, I mean, just quite frankly, there are some people um, who, uh, no matter what we are going to say, are going to disagree. Um, we need to start probably from that unfortunate baseline. Um, the second thing that I would tell people is just in my particular role, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a virologist. You know, and so at that particular point, it becomes really important um, that I communicate to people. That's why I'm going out and listening to people who actually are in those particular fields. Um, they have the expertise in it. I don't. The best that I can do is look at all of the, of the different data points and health criteria that they give me and try to piece them all together to actually make it, uh, you know, a good decision um, for thousands upon thousands of people. And clearly, we have angered some people, and that probably was to be expected. But um, when I communicate with people, and, and I think it's important, by the way, and I, I probably should mention this, the majority of people who disagree with the way that we're making the decision have been very respectful in saying, hey, we think that there's some other data that you might be missing, right? There's people that are recommending, hey, are there other metrics that we should be looking at? Should we, should we be looking at the mortality rates, our hospital capacities? Should we be looking at exiting out nursing home cases, for example, when we're making these particular decisions? And while I may agree or disagree with how they want us to look at the data, I have immense respect for the way that they have at least presented those emails to us. Those who have come at it just from an anger standpoint, it's really, really hard to rationalize any decision that we were gonna make. And that goes for people who wanted schools fully open and, school, and people who want them fully closed. Because um, we've gotten um, kind of the nasty grams on both sides. Well, I, I think that goes back, uh, this is going to go back to that communication um, piece of, the, of, of, our, of our questions, which is, this is a really emotional time. I mean, Jason and I had, a, had Carrie Gray, a therapist, on our show last Friday because we all needed a little time on the couch, right? I mean, this is just, this stuff is hard. None of us have ever been here before. We don't really have any historical data or decisions to to rely on so so again you know what are what are our strategies for the schools the school district to 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 communicate with people on on their decisions and how they're doing it because everybody's taking it personal and i think the fact that everybody is at a boiling point you know for everything makes it even harder so what what are strategies for for communication to try to help everybody get through I, I would say probably first, yes, um, the where people are at already has compounded the issue, right? I, that, I think that's pretty simple. People having um, been dealing with this now for six months has definitely compounded the issue. Um, but I, I firmly believe in two simple things here, and maybe I'm keeping it overly simplistic. I, it's very possible here. Number one is, is that when we have some of these board meetings and stuff like that, we need to make sure the questions that have been being asked behind the scenes are now out in public. You know, last night there were some questions that I know some people were asking us, you know, how did you not already have that information prior to? And the answer to that is, is some of those questions had been asked, but we wanted to make sure that the public knew what the answers to some of those questions um, actually were so that it wasn't being essentially hidden from people. I think that's number, that's probably the first thing. But I think the second thing is, is every time we send out a communication to families um, and to our students is that we give a rationale for the decision 
and that we communicate why we believe as a district, whether people agree or disagree with us, on why this particular decision is in the best interest of our students and staff. Keep those, keep those things at the forefront, students and staff at the forefront. That may not make everybody happy, but we need to make sure that when we are sending out those communications to people which go out, you know, I mean, Katie sent hers out within, I mean, it was pretty fast last night, you know, after the decision that she had already tried to start the communication process. Um, and by the way, quick plug for her because holy cow, is she doing an amazing job um, under pretty adverse circumstances. But um, keep those two things at the forefront, make sure we always provide a rationale for our decision. And that may be overly simplistic on my, on my part. Well, is that, I guess, uh, are you asking then for, what are you asking for from the public, right? Especially those who disagree, right? I mean, on both sides, right? There are people who think that you, the school should be open, um, just full stop, or, or, or more open than you guys are currently allowing, I'll put it that way. Uh, and there are those, um, including some on the board, who think the school should be completely virtual to start the year um, as a matter of safety. So uh, what, are you, what are you sort of asking for from the people who, are, who do disagree with you? I think the very first thing, and I, and I need to be upfront, right? Because I was somebody who I would have been okay with the hybrid mode, right? So I need to be upfront with, with people on that too. I think, I think that we need people to understand that this is temporary. I think there's a lot of people who believe that the moment this decision was made last night, that it is set that essentially these kids are gonna go to school for the entire first semester and four through 12 will never get into the buildings first semester. And I honestly don't believe that that's going to happen. I really do believe um, that we're going to get our 4 through 12 started. And yes, if we move correct, go through the phases as, as our administration has recommended, we would have a stop in hybrid first, right? And so, um, but I do believe we're going to get those kids in the building this semester. Um, and I think so when people, that's probably the biggest thing that I would ask our community um, is, and this is a tough ask, right, is to say, you have been patient for six months. We need you to be patient a little bit longer, right? And that is very, very difficult. I respect that. Um, but I think that's what I would ask the most from our community is to understand that there are opinions all across the spectrum. This is a temporary thing. Um, show a little grace, a little kindness. And, and I really do believe we're gonna get our students going in the building here sooner rather than later. Let's talk a little bit about that about that phasing process and that re reopening. Um, we have seen some other districts in the area, and even if you you know if you look at the news around the country that have set that have set kind of hard times of we're going to do this for four weeks or nine weeks, and then we're going to reevaluate. And you you here in Lee Summit have done it a little differently, where you said we want to reevaluate every single week. Um, does that make it harder? It could, it could. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we're trying to balance is the need to get kids in school versus the needs to allow parents the opportunity to plan, right? Um, but I think in this particular regard, because we're trying to reevaluate with the idea of bringing kids into the building, that's a little bit different than if we were to say, hey, we're gonna be trying to have kids go back home, essentially, where then parents are really going to be scrambling, right? Um, and so I think the idea of reevaluating that data on a weekly basis is more designed um, to try to meet those gating criteria so that 
um, sooner rather than later the students are actually in the buildings. And this is this is more of a curiosity question. So what Lee Summit is doing is is different than what other districts in just in our suburban area are doing. Is there do you feel confident, I guess, in in being different and not not doing the same as what the other districts are doing and and kind of I guess where does that come from a little bit? Well, um, first, you're right, we're, we're different than other districts. And I think actually, I mean, if we were to look around at a lot of the districts, most of our districts tend to be a little bit different. You know, Independence is different, is doing it differently than Blue Springs and Independence is hybrid is even different than what our hybrid would look like, you know, on a week to week basis versus us doing the two day um, rotation and stuff like that. I do feel confident um, in being a little bit different here. I feel like the plan that our staff has put forward is actually pretty amazingly detailed um, and amazingly flexible. Um, and that's a credit not only to our administration, but that's a credit to our staff. Um, and Dr. Buck has said it, and I know that there's some, some uh, administrators, and this is totally fine because those discussions need to happen. Dr. Buck thinks that we could, we could flip you know, from virtual to in-person almost within 48 hours. Um, his staff kind of chuckles at that because there are a lot of logistics, obviously, right, to trying to make that happen. But I think what his broader point is, is that being different and being willing and flexible to try to make that move as quickly as we possibly can is actually a testament to um, the staff and employees of the district being ready um, and up to speed um, to make that particular shift happen. And that's part of why the delay to September 8th um, worked in our favor is because staff has had a chance um, to put some of these plans in place and be ready for those quick shifts as we as we might move through this particular semester. Ryan, what in the in the end of this? I mean, what we're what, the reason we're not going back into school is because we we're 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 at risk of transmitting the virus, which kills people, um, and that's a that's a big thing that we that we sort of have to hold. How, when you're evaluating this on a week-to-week -week basis, I think one of the advantages that a, a nine-week or a four-week sort of lock, locked-in time frame gives is the ability to, to get a little bit larger picture on the data as it comes in, right? As we've all said over and over again, the data is shifting, the science is moving around, all of these things are happening. And it's very hard in week one, pardon me, <clears throat> it's very hard in week one uh, when you get a piece of data this week, right, to know what it's going to look like in two weeks. And if it takes one week or two weeks to get school sort of ginned back up, if next week, right, or if three weeks into the, the semester, the numbers shift um, and do that, are you looking at that in that kind of a short time frame, or are you really trying to take a little bit more of a global picture to see where, like, real trends are developing? Yeah, so that, I think that's a really good point. So while we're going to get updated um, numbers each week, those 14-day rolling kind of trends, those, those month-long trends, week-by-week -week trends, are still something that the district is going to be looking at. So, um, you know, if all of a sudden <clears throat> this next week, just in a seven-day period, we all of a sudden saw cases just drop all the way down to five or something like that, while that would be a great thing to have happen, we would still be looking at that week-to-week -week case rate um, over the last couple of months even um, to hopefully have seen some kind of steady decline. And it's one of the reasons that using those rolling averages, whether it be 14 or even sometimes a little bit longer than that um, data, still become really, really important. I think 
from that interpreting data on a weekly basis. It's how does one week's of data impact all of those trends going all the way back, right? So we're still looking at the long-term picture, uh, but to see are we actually moving in the right direction. Well, let, let's let's look a little bit ahead. Maybe maybe you can break out your crystal ball some here. As as that's a loser's game in the last six months. <laughs> I'm saying that in advance. Here. Can we just go ahead and go to 2021? Yeah, <laughs> I like to be mean. Um, but but let's talk a little bit about what the, those reopening and those those phases um, can look like. I know the the broad next phase is four to four through twelve is is a hybrid thing. But as you look ahead and, and you think about how the, what the numbers might tell you, will that be in chunks? Do you, I mean, is it going to be everybody 4 through 12 goes hybrid, or is it maybe, hey, we're going to get 4 through 6 back in the elementary schools and then maybe look at, at middle? And I know, and the reason I ask is because one of the things that's been talked about is the social distancing aspect is different between elementary and the middle and the high schools. And a lot of that is because of the changing classes, the common areas. So what kind of, as you look ahead, what are you, how are you kind of picturing that? So there has been some discussion about whether or not we would do um, hybrid essentially to start with for our fourth through sixth graders, um, if the data would allow for that. Some of that obviously alleviates some burdens on parents in terms of kids being at home and that kind of thing. Um, but I want to be clear, and, and again, this is, I hope that people understand. Right now, I'm only speaking for myself uh, when I tell you this is I don't want us to make a decision based on essentially a childcare situation, right? So if the data supports that kids can be in the building four through six in hybrid, then the data is most likely also supporting that the rest of the students could be in school for hybrid as well. Um, and so I would wanna make sure um, that when those recommendations are made that we're taking a look at that kind of holistic picture. You know, a lot of people, are bringing up the idea of passing in the hallways and in commons and stuff like that. And again, I, I think it might be important to point out that those interactions are in the seconds, right? That they pass each other in the hallways in the second, there would be a mask requirement within, within schools. And so for me, as a former high school teacher, the hallways would not be a huge concern for me, right? I, my concern is, is how many kids are gonna be in my class for that extended period of time as, as a classroom teacher. And I think that's where the hybrid does give us um, that benefit of now getting classes down into the teens um, for nearly every single teacher. Um, and so um, as we move through these phases, I, I personally would like to see us, um, unless there's some huge factor that, that is made aware to us that when we move to hybrid, we would move to hybrid for four through 12. Well, you brought you brought up the, the the mask wearing, so I think this is this is the big question, right? How does a school district enforce mask mandates? So, for our school district, um, and it's not any secret to anybody, we would be requiring masks um, for kids coming into the building. From an enforcement standpoint, that's obviously on a case by case basis. Teach if somebody is not wearing a mask, a teacher will ask that particular person to put on a mask. Um, from administration's perspective, um, if there is a student who isn't wearing a mask um, and they should be and they don't have an exemption to not be wearing a mask, um, then that at that particular point, if it becomes kind of that habitual problem, then that student will be asked to move into our online academy. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So let's, let's, uh, well, Nick, do you have any other big stuff that you wanted to cover? Um, I, I do have, I do have uh, a question I wanted to ask you about and, and I got emails too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just, I think some people were were, were passing on some questions uh, once I had put out on social media last night that you were you were coming out on, on the show, and a handful of them all centered around really one one topic, and that's there was conversation yesterday about some one to one tutoring or in person opportunities for those that are starting virtual. So maybe that's special needs students, maybe that's ESL, those with IEPs, etc. Um, or even those that just are struggling by not being there because we know everyone learns differently. Can you talk a little bit about that plan and what, what parents with those students can do to try to try to work with the district? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we start in virtual for those fourth through 12th grades, kids who are already um, in our ELL program um, who, or who do require special services already have an exemption to come into the buildings um, for five day a week education. Um, now, they, people need to understand they need to be working with their administration and the, their IEP teams. Um, Dr. Buck, unfortunately, you know, we, or, um, and Dr. Mathis had to share last night that technically speaking at this point, kids with 504 plans um, are not in that same group. So we would need to be looking at those at a case-by-case basis as well. But any of those kids who fall into kind of special services that are required um, will be able to, to be coming into the building regardless of grade level um, to make sure that they are getting those services. Other kids who are um, struggling with virtual learning, one of the big things that we talked with the health department about is, is we wanted some assurances that, hey, if we need to get these kids into the building in um, for meetings, even if it's maybe once a week for an hour or something like that with an instructor to help them through some of the challenges that they might be having, that that's going to be okay. Um, and the health department did say that that's fine. Those short bursts of tutoring one-on-one with a staff member, that kind of thing, to help those who are struggling um, is absolutely going, going to be allowed. So um, anybody, I mean, the overarching answer to that is anybody who needs special services or who is going to need or request some extra help, go through your building administrators first um, and try to get those appointments scheduled um, with those staff members since they're going to be in the building and we'll get those students seen. All right. So I think we've covered all the serious stuff here. I have one more important question for you, Ryan. Oh, great. So y'all have been sitting um, more than once a month now at the dais, uh, uh, obeying social distancing, dealing with the mask mandates. Who has the best mask on the dais? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, some we do have some some members who color coordinate their masks with their outfits, so they change, you know, from time to time. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna say those of us who are wearing our LSR seven masks. Oh, uh, look at you! Hashtag on brand, Brian Murdoch. Good job. <laughs> right. Right. Because because I'm wearing one, you know. So <laughs> that's all right. Choose yourself. Good job. <laughs> Hey, at some point, at some point, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, just go. You know what? That's me. That's me. Yeah. Hey, honestly, you've already made everybody else mad. You might as well take shots at the other board members. That works. That's out. right. Absolutely. I don't and like I think, I think we should all criticize Dr. Buck for having no personalization of his masks at all. It's just strictly surgical, and it's so boring. He needs to do better. He needs to do better. There's my first major criticism of the new superintendent. Well, do better. Do, do prettier masks. We did talk about that. We need to get him a mask that says the buck stops here. So there we go. There we are. 
Well, Ryan, I appreciate you uh, you coming on this morning. I know it's been been a long week in particular, but 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 seven Month, weeks as you guys six go. months, three <laughs> years. <laughs> um, but but no, I, I I do appreciate you taking a little bit of time to to, to answer some questions and and maybe help clarify a little bit for for people in the district. So thank thank you so much for your time. No problem. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks.